You're listening to the Entrepreneur Ignited Podcast. Where you'll get proven strategies to start and grow your online business from in the trenches digital entrepreneurs. EntrepreneurIgnited.com. Launch your online business. Live your dreams. Now, here's your host, Derek Gale. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ignited Podcast, a podcast designed to skip all the hype, skip all the BS, just give you the real actionable tips and strategies you need to grow your digital business. This is your host, Eric Gale, and today we're going to dive deep into content creation and more specifically how to scale and grow your content creation. And uh, today's guest is a best-selling author, blogger, and owner of Professional Content Creation, a company focused on helping business owners use content to market their businesses. She's worked as a freelance writer since 1993 and has served as a content manager for a lot of very well-known bloggers such as Michael Hyatt, Amy Porterfield, Marcus Sheridan, and uh, she's passionate about helping you create content more strategically so that you can get the results you desire with your content marketing efforts. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Rebecca Livermore to the show. Rebecca, thanks so much for being here today. Well, thanks so much, Derek, for having me. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Now, before we get started, take a second, just expand on my introduction. I mean, you've obviously been writing for a long time, but you know, share your path to becoming the, the content creation expert and, and how you garner, garnished all this knowledge. How did you become this content resource for so many well-known bloggers today? Okay, sure thing. So as you said, I've been writing for a really long time, which kind of dates me a little bit. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's okay. That's uh, If those people who are listening are younger, be encouraged that life kind of continues on in a very fantastic <laughs> way, even when your kids are I'm actually an empty nester. My husband and I uh, had two kids who are now grown and out of married and out of the house and all of that. And um, it's actually an amazing time to be in business, to be writing and all of that, because I have a lot of freedom and less responsibilities than when they were younger. So um, anyway, it's really, I have a really interesting story about how I got started with working for people like Amy Porterfield and Michael Hyatt and all of these other um, people that I've been privileged to work for. And um, and I, I just want to share the story because there's a couple of lessons there that I think people can draw on and we can kind of get that in into that in a little bit. But I was working a regular job and this was actually after 17 years of being a stay at home homeschooling mom. I ended up getting a job that was supposed to be temporary and it ended up being I ended up being there seven years. So um, it just was a good fit. I loved the job. I loved the people. But I started feeling like I wanted to do something different. And I had been writing during this time. I um, wrote for companies like Yahoo and uh, just did some other things. I had written for magazines back before the internet was a huge thing like it is now. And um, I didn't really know that I wanted to write full time. I wasn't sure that that was what I wanted to do. But I just started having that restlessness in spite of loving my job like I did. Well, somewhere in the process of that, I started following Social Media Examiner. And at the time, their um, main lead magnet was a video or, or maybe even a series of videos, I don't remember, by Amy Porterfield on Facebook. And 
I uh, opted in and her videos were fantastic. And so I ended up getting on her email list, you know, because I thought, wow, she's really got, she really knows her stuff. And she sent out an email promoting these uh, Facebook strategy sessions. She had just at that time, just finished uh, writing Facebook marketing for dummies or for business for dummies, one of those dummies books on Facebook marketing. And um, so she was like freed up to do some other things. And so I went to the sales page for this um, service that she was offering at the time. And I noticed that there was, well, it was kind of more than a typo. It's, you know how like when you're editing your stuff and then you kind of like forget and part of a sentence doesn't quite make sense. It was one of those kind of things. And I was like, oh, I wonder if I should say something, you know, because not everyone responds when you, you know, point out a mistake. And, you know, I would never do it publicly, but I just, you know, thought, well, I'm going to just reach out to her and let her know. And I felt prompted to offer to do 50 pages of free editing for her. And I, you know, reached out, I told her the mistake, I said, I think what you meant to say is this, and I would love to do this uh, free editing. And really, the only thing is the only reason is I know I would learn a lot from you. And that was really true. I didn't have, you know, any ulterior motives, the thought of working for her hadn't crossed my mind. It was just something like I felt like I should do is reach out and offer to help her. So she wrote back very graciously and says, oh, you know, I hate it when I do stuff like that. And I would love to take you up on your offer. But how about if to make it worth your time, I do a free strategy uh, overhaul, Facebook strategy overhaul for you. And I said, that would be great. Now, keep in mind, I didn't have a Facebook page. I didn't have a business. I was working a job. But for whatever reason, I said, sure, that would be great. So the first part of that was a phone call with her. So she could ask questions about your business and what are you doing and all that because she needed to know that stuff to then put together a strategy for you. And so we get on the on the phone and, you know, I'm just telling her like, well, yeah, I'm thinking about quitting my job and here's what's happening and here's my skill set and blah, blah. And, we, and we're just talking. And again, the thought of working for her hadn't crossed my mind at all. And she said, well, when you're ready to quit, I'll be your first client. And I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, as it turns out, she had a virtual assistant. And that's actually how I started was a virtual assistant and then writing on the side. But she had a virtual assistant at that time that she was not happy with. And my skill set just happened to fit perfectly with what she needed. There was good chemistry between us and all of that. And so three weeks later, I started working for her while I was still working my full-time job. And that wouldn't work for her at this point because her business is a lot bigger. This was Mm -hmm. about five years ago and she and I were both in very different places. Um, So I still kept working my full-time job. I'd get up in the morning, check stuff, you know, of hers, do it on my lunch break, check things. When I got home, I'd work on stuff. And Um, and it started off really just five hours a week and then it kind of grew over time. Well, about five months into that is, um, when I quit five or six months in is when I quit my job. And, um, thankfully because of working for her and she did have, um, already at that time, a good reputation and was pretty well known, um, knowing I was going to quit my job, I started kind of reaching out to other people 
um, basically just getting to know them and letting them know, hey, here's what I'm going to be doing, you know, as it as it got closer. And one of those people was Marcus Sheridan. So he was my um, second client. And my my third one was a guy that basically was one of Amy's coaching clients. Yeah, Amy was uh, like teaching on Facebook marketing. And I used to help her with her webinars. You know, I'd get on, I'd be the person behind the scenes, you know, responding on, you know, chat to people and helping troubleshoot and all of this. And um, so she just happened to say, hey, and my assistant, Rebecca, is needing more clients. And, you know, so that led to my um, third person. And so it just kind of went from there. Um, And obviously, once you have a good reputation, then it's much easier to get clients. Um, But the way that it worked with Michael Hyatt was kind of interesting. And again, it was funny because I had not considered working for him. I hadn't even thought of working for him. But when he was about to release his book platform, he decided to form a book launch team. And uh, and at that time, he was only taking 100 people. And so I ended up um, applying to be on the team. And as it turns out, they got so many people applying, I think something like 700 or something like that, that they just drew names. And I happened to be one of the people that they drew their name. And so one thing that they did is they had this private Facebook group. And with it being just 100 people, we were interacting a lot. He was very involved. He did a fantastic job of making his launch team feel special and all of that. But I think because of being in that, I was on his radar And the people in the group were very helpful with each other. So like if somebody posted a question, like a writing-related question, blogging-related question, I would get in there and help and that type of thing. And that was just kind of the nature of that particular group. Well, it was maybe six months after that that he put something on his blog about looking for a podcast producer. And I had very minimal, at that time, very minimal experience with podcasting. But I had helped Marcus Sheridan with his podcast. And so I was like, well, you know, I at least know something. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and yet I, I definitely wasn't very experienced. But I'm the type that it's like, you know, if, I, if I'm sure I can do something, I go for it. You know, even if I know, well, the odds maybe aren't that great that I'll get the job. And so... What ended up happening is I applied, and I think because I was active in that Facebook group, his manager saw my name, you know, with the application come in, and she, you know, replied back saying, oh, it's nice to see a familiar name, you know, and we started talking and all of that. And come to find out, I ended up being in the final three. And that meant an interview, a phone interview with Michael. And um, anyway, bottom line is the interview went very, very well, but they selected somebody else. So I didn't get that position. But then when Joy, his manager, emailed me to let me know I did not get that position, she said, but we were really impressed with you. And I have a feeling that we will work with you in the future. Would you be open to that? And she said, I don't know what, I don't know when, but, you know, would you be open to talking about that at some point in the future? And I said, yes. So maybe three months after that, she reached out to me because they, she was writing or together they were writing a, um, a job description for a content manager for Michael. 
And when they were writing it, they thought of me. And so reached out to me. And in that that time, I didn't even have to compete with anybody else. It was basically if I wanted the job, that it was mine. So anyway, so that's kind of how that happened. And then naturally, there's just kind of a snowball effect because then these other people that I'm working for recommend me. And generally speaking, I had to turn people down rather than looking for work. So that's kind of a story of how that all happened. And the lesson that I want to say is... If you really have a heart to help people, the doors will open for you, Mm -hmm. you know. And so like with Amy, I I hadn't even thought of working for her. I just saw a need and I had the ability to help her. So I reached out and offered. And then like with Michael, I was in his uh, book launch team and was active in the, the community and all of that. So they got to know me. And even though I had not thought about working for either of them, they both um, ended up hiring me because of that. You know, it's it's interesting. I've, I've interviewed so many entrepreneurs. I've known so many entrepreneurs now. And, and it's, it's funny how many stories start uh, similar to yours with, you know, n- not any specific intention other than to offer something good to somebody and a relationship forms because of that. And then it's amazing what, what that can turn into. So I think that's a really valuable lesson for everybody listening and also connecting with the right people that effectively can open those doors for you, which is really fantastic. So, I, you know, I was really looking forward to this interview because it's timely for me since I'm in that point in my business where, um, you know, I really want to scale up my content and, uh, you know, uh, I'll be honest, it's, it can be a little difficult. I mean, you know, as I was saying to you before we got on the call, you know, I used to have an office and in that I had a couple of writers that worked for me full time and I have had a lot of uh, very close interaction oversight and, uh, you know, you train them up over time. But right. now I'm at this point where I'm like, okay, I need to scale. I don't have the bandwidth to create all the content. And uh, so I want to find a team or build a resource of people right. that I can scale at a price point that makes sense as well. Right. So, so, you know, let, let's start right at the beginning, you know, so. Because I, I think most bloggers and dig, digital entrepreneurs are like myself. We know, you know, quality content is really the foundation of uh, of a good website. But you know, we quickly realize that um, creating good, consistent quality content is a ton of work. So what do we do? We head over to Upwork. We head over to Fiverr. We hire a writer, and we're quickly disappointed with what we mm-hmm. get back. <laughs> which, you know, let's start. Let's start here. You know, what are the top mistakes that? you think people are making right now, bloggers are making, digital entrepreneurs are making when they're trying to outsource their writing? What what are the mistakes we're making? Let's start there and then dive into more of the, the process. Okay, sure. Well, I think that one mistake that comes to my mind immediately is expecting somebody to be able to come in quickly and know how to write content in a way that you want it written. Um, and especially when it comes to if your name's going to be on it, I'm personally not a big fan of um, hiring a ghostwriter. And by that, I mean hiring somebody who is just going to do research and write stuff without your input necessarily, and then slap your name on it, that type of thing, because it's not going to sound like you. So there's uh, a process that I have found that is very, very helpful, and it's what I call blogging your voice. It's a service that I um, used to offer and may offer at some point in the future, but 
I'm going to just explain the process to you because you could use the same process um, with somebody other than me. So the way that it basically worked is that I got on um, Skype with somebody and the person who needed the content written. And ahead of time, they had thought of what post they wanted to have written. We decided on, let's say, you know, four blog posts or whatever that we are going to cover in one um, recording session. And I had them outline the, the post. They obviously didn't have to write it or that would be pointless, but outline it just, for, to, just to have the talking points in front of them. And then I, we would just hit record. I would just say the title of the post so they would know which one we're on and then they would start talking. And all the while it's being recorded. And I would sit there and I would like make some notes like, oh, ask them to explain this term or can you tell a story? Do you have any illustrations? That type of thing. Um, or if there was anything that they said that didn't make sense, I would ask them to clarify it. Uh, and then what I did is I handed that to a, a transcriber, somebody to transcribe it. And then I took it and wrote the post. And I called it blogging your voice because as much as possible, I used their words, but obviously it was cleaned up a lot more than a transcript. Um, and so it was well written. I might, you know, shift the order of things around to make them flow better and that type of thing. But that I think is a really good way of doing it. And you can have like one person, um, well, you could even record without another person being online with you. I did have some people do that. You lose the value of another party listening for things that maybe aren't clear and asking questions and pulling out some of the good content. But it's definitely possible to just do it on your own, to record it and then pay for somebody to transcribe it and then hand that to a writer. And the reason why I like this method is, you know, first of all, like I mentioned before, it's your voice. It's your personality. It's the way that you would say things, the terms you would use and all of that. But then somebody's taking it and turning it into a well-written post. And so you can definitely hire a transcriber inexpensively, you know, and, you know, it could be somebody on Fiverr or someone in the Philippines or something like that. Um, so no need to have the writer do that because they're probably going to charge, you know, more for their time than a transcriber. And then hand that to the um, writer and have them take that information and create blog posts or, or other written content for you. And if you have a lot of content on hand already, so for example, you've done videos or webinars or things like that, you can also start with those things that you've already done. And use that same process to where you're just basically repurposing the content, but pulling in a writer who can take that content that you've already created in a different form and write some solid blog posts for you. Okay, so now this is this is really interesting. So let's dive into voice a little bit because mm -hmm. I, I think voice is something that um, is in so much content I read online. There's no voice. Right. Um, because you can tell that somebody's hired a generic writer to go out there and just create an article. And although there's information in it, mm -hmm. there's no voice. And, right. and, and this is something I try and communicate to my students that your 
content needs to have your voice, but then I try to explain it and, I, you know, it kind of falls flat. As a writer, how would you explain voice? To me, voice is how you would speak normally. You know, a lot of times people get into writing mode and it's almost like, I think it's probably because we all were in school and had to write papers and you didn't really write with your voice typically in school. Mm -hmm. You know, you were following a list of rules and there were all these requirements and all of this. So I would say just to really be yourself. And a great example of this is Marcus Sheridan. Marcus, you know, has done an amazing thing with content, but he never considered himself to be a writer. And a lot of the people who are doing a lot of writing don't consider themselves to be a great writer. So Marcus uses things like he says, dang, and crapola, and, you know, stuff like that. And that is how he talks. And Mm -hmm. so that is how he writes. And I think that's the key. If If somebody reads something that you've written or that somebody's written for you, they should be able to almost like picture you saying it if it's somebody that um, knows you at all. You know, it's kind of funny because I used to, you know, do some guest posting for some different sites and I wrote for this one and one of my friends, when she started reading it, she hadn't even seen my name and as soon as she started reading it, she'd go, oh, this is Rebecca that wrote this because it was just, I was just myself, you know, and my personality, I wasn't trying to be anybody that I'm not. And I think that's really the key. So, you know, if you're the, um, let's say hyper educated and your audience is super, you know, educated and medical or, you know, filled or something like that. Sure. Your tone is going to be different. You're going to write in a very professional way, but for most people, it's going to be like you're sitting down and having a cup of coffee with somebody and talking about, you know, whatever it is. Or let's say you got an email from a friend and they asked you for advice, uh, like in your case, about being an entrepreneur. They might ask a specific question about being an entrepreneur. How would you write to them? You probably wouldn't use formal stuffy language or be super technical. You would just, it would just be like you're having a conversation with them. And so I think that that's the best way to write with your voice is to kind of shut out that, that critic, stop trying to be professional or sounding smart or impressive or anything. Just mm-hmm. be yourself. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, going back to the mistakes, I, I think from my perspective, I think the biggest mistake I see online today is content without a voice. And I, I feel that, you know, I go to somebody's blog. If I go to a you know, if I go to Microsoft.com or Google, you know, you're not expecting right. much voice. It's, it's a corporate, a corporate voice. But right. when I land on somebody's blog and I read it, and it's textbook, it's you know, it's like somebody wrote an essay. Uh, right. You just you don't feel that same connection. I think that's a huge mistake that you've hit on that I think uh, people need to be more aware of. And, and, and something else I want to highlight there is writing conversationally, you know, I mean, right. it's, and it's funny because, you know, we're, we go to school and we're taught this is the proper way to write grammatically and sentence structure and paragraph structure and, and et cetera, et cetera. But then if you ever want to write anything that is meaningful to communicate with people, you basically got to throw all that out. Right. And just write like you've, you're speaking, which is, mm-hmm. I mean, if you go to copywriting 101, I mean, that's, you know, if you're writing sales copy, which I've done a lot of, that is, that is you know, hands down so important. Um, so, okay, so let's shift gears again and let, let's talk a little bit about 
uh, when when to outsource content? Because you know this is this is another question I get. Is lots of people starting out. I've got lots of new entrepreneurs, and they say to me, "Well, you know, should I start outsourcing content right away? When do you think a blogger should look at outsourcing their content?" Okay, so first of all, I say pretty early on, and I would even say before you feel ready. And the reason for that is. Whenever there's anything big in life, we can often put it off. Like people will put off getting married until they're ready. You know, maybe they want to have more income or, you know, same same thing with kids. Like when we're ready. Well, you know, when are you ever going to be really ready? When will everything be perfect? And it probably won't happen. So I would say to go ahead and start when you're ready and, uh, or excuse me, before you feel ready. And the reason for that is if you wait until you're desperate, that's the worst time to hire somebody because when you're desperate, you're stressed out. You don't have time to invest in training somebody and um, all of that. So I say before you feel ready. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to run out and hire some full-time person or an expensive uh, person. You can start on places like Fiverr just for small jobs, you know, because then at least you're shifting your mindset to where you're not doing everything yourself. Because I think a lot of entrepreneurs, especially solopreneurs, are into that mindset of, you know, they want to bootstrap and they don't want to spend money. And I totally get that because we've all been in that place. But as soon as the sooner rather than later to start getting help with your content. And um, so some ways that I would say that you can tell for sure that it's time is that you have tasks that you dread doing. So, you know, we all have certain things, like let's say for blogging, maybe you like to write. Let's just assume somebody likes to write, but they hate formatting. They hate putting in, you know, uh, SEO stuff. They hate finding an image or creating an image to go with it. So they might write a post and then it takes a long time before it's published because they keep putting off doing certain aspects of it. So that would be a huge thing is knowing that, you know, you have things that you need to do, but you dread doing them. The second would be that customer service isn't what it should be. So let's say that you are starting to monetize um, your platform in whatever way, whether it's digital products or what have you, and people reach out with a question about your product or they have a problem and you take three weeks to get back to them, you know, well, that's not a good thing, obviously. Yeah. So that's a sign that, man, you're gonna, your business is going to die if you don't improve customer service. And you really need to hire help if you're struggling with that. Um, another thing is what happens if you take time off? Would your entire business fall apart? You know, is it totally 100% based on you doing everything? And if you stopped, like if you took a one-week vacation everything would fall apart. That's another sign. Um, if you're too busy to take on new clients or to do other things to grow your business, because otherwise, if you're too busy to take on new clients or create content or whatever it is that's going to grow your business, then your business isn't going to grow unless you hire somebody. So that's another huge thing. And um, I actually... 
learned about this one exercise through Chris Decker. And uh, I don't know if you know Chris and Pat Flynn, but um, they had done this um, like in-person one-day mastermind kind of thing. And I signed up and I went to that. And it was like 25 people there. And um, anyway, one exercise that Chris gave, which I thought was fantastic, was called Your Three List to Freedom. And basically, here's how that works. You grab a pen and a paper, and you draw two lines down the middle. So you end up with three columns. And in the first column, you write down the things that you hate doing. And most likely, you procrastinate on those things. So that kind of goes with my first point of the stuff that you dread. You know, you just like, ah, you know, you hate it. The second column are things that you can't do. So for example, for me, I'm horrible with graphics. So I'm an author, but I would never design my own book cover because I just can't do it. I mean, I could do it, but it would look horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know coding. So if I have a problem with my website, I can't fix it myself. I have to hire someone. So in the second column, you're going to write down those things that you can't do. You just don't have the skill set to do them. And then the third column are the things that you can do, and you might even like doing them, but as the business owner, you shouldn't be doing them. And basically, what that means is that somebody else could do things, those things for you. So as an example for me is um, I write books. I like to format, like do the Kindle formatting and things like that. I've done that for clients. People have paid me to do it. But I could easily hire somebody else to do them. And then instead of spending the time formatting, I could start writing my next book. So that's the type of thing that goes into that third column. And then once you do that, you look through that for a list of things that you can outsource. And obviously, you may not be able to outsource everything. But look at the stuff that's in that the dread column and the can't do column and start with those things And one at a time, start hiring people to do those tasks for you. That's a fantastic exercise. Mm -hmm. It is great. And that's why I wanted to share it. But I I can't take credit for it because that's, you know, and and Chris is, uh, you know, like the king of outsourcing with his virtual assistant agency and all of that. And so he obviously has a ton of experience. But, you know, a a lot of times people think, well, I, I don't even know what to hire somebody to do. Mm-hmm. Well, you'll have a whole list if you do that exercise. Absolutely. And, and I mean, th- th- that's so key, too, is, is once you overcome that mental block of having to do everything yourself and begin outsourcing those things you don't want to do, um, you're going to watch your, your business take off. And I can't tell you how, right. many, how many of my students, how many entrepreneurs I've worked with start off trying to, trying to you know, be the superhero and do everything. And then all of a sudden the light comes on and they start outsourcing and just boom, they just watch their, their results just take right off, which is fantastic. Mm So, so, okay. So now uh, once you figured out, okay, I need to outsource this. The next most common question that I get is what should my budget be? How much should I be paying writers? How much should I be paying transcriptionists? How much is this going to cost me? So, um, help us out there. Which, okay, how sure. Do you budget this. Well, first of all, uh, I want to share a resource, a book that I read that really helped me out, and it's called Profit First by Mike Michalowicz. Don't know if you've uh, read that, but he's written some other 
books as well. I think the pumpkin plan and uh, toilet paper entrepreneur and some other things. Well, Mike shares his story about how he was making a ton of money and ended up bankrupt. That's the, the short version. And so this book is all about how to handle your business finances. And it's actually very simple. So if you're not like the accounting type or, you know, really into numbers and all of that, you can still take um, what is in his book and use that. So a basic breakdown that he does is taking all of the income that comes into your business, all of the money that comes in and putting 50% towards owner's pay. So that's your paycheck. 15% to taxes, 5% into a profit account, excuse me, and 30% operating expenses. So, and, and those are just guidelines. You could change it up, but that's just kind of a good starting point. And so let's say that you had $1,000, 300 of that could go into your operating expenses account. And that means that's money to run your business. That's like, and there's going to be certain things that come out of that, you know, web hosting and whatever, the the nuts and bolts things that you have to have. <clears throat> but then, and obviously, if you're ready to hire help, hopefully you have more than $1,000 a month coming in. But um, if not, it's still a good place to start because then you're still paying yourself and you're still putting money aside for taxes and things like that. And you're putting money into a profit account. So you're gradually building the profit of your business. So that's a starting point is to have a certain amount of money that you set aside for your operating expenses. And he actually has you put it into different accounts so that you don't just have all this money in one account and then you just spend it because it's in there because that's what, unfortunately, human nature, you see it and you think, oh, I've got this money, I can you know, do whatever. Um, <clears throat> so what I would do is whatever your... Um, whatever's in your operating expense account, look at that and then look at your cost, the actual cost of running your business and what do you have left? Because that at least gives you a figure of how much wiggle room you have, how much money you have to spend on hiring people. And um, so that is definitely the starting point. And then looking at, well, what's the going rate? for whatever it is that you need to have done. And there's going to be a huge range, uh, depending on quality, where the the person's located and things like that. And kind of make a budget from there, you know. So think like, well, um, gosh, I can afford to hire a transcriber. You know, maybe you're, you're great at speaking and you could uh, hire a transcriber, but you might have to still edit it yourself because you can't quite afford a writer to do it. Or maybe you can afford a writer, but you can only afford to have them do two posts a month or, you know, one Mm -hmm. a week or whatever it may be. So that is definitely a great place to start. And and again, going back to that list of that, um, that exercise is you can also look at all of the different things that you have on the list. And some of them are going to be more expensive to outsource than others. So Anyway, I hope that helps with kind of giving an idea of a place to start with um, with just figuring out a budget so that, 
you can hire someone without then not having the money to like pay your web hosting yeah. or some, uh, some other necessity, you know? Yeah. yeah. So th- that's a fantastic framework for now coming up with a budget. And I think that's a very valuable process for people to go through. And it, it, now one of the big challenges though, that people run into is, you know, once they figured out the budget, they don't even know how to pay a writer or what to, what they should pay. What's, what's a fair amount to pay and should they charge you know should they pay per word should they pay per article should they pay per hour how do you pay writers okay so that's a great question and you know i know the answer it depends is the answer everybody hates but there is such a broad range with experience and uh, where somebody's living and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, and again, everybody has a little different way of doing it. Some charge by the word, some will charge like a range, like for a 500, you know, 400 to 600 word blog post, I'll charge this much for a thousand words. I'll charge this much. Or if it needs, um, you know, if it needs, uh, research and things like that, they're going to charge more, all of that. So what I do when I first, um, have somebody approach me, and uh, if somebody doesn't offer this to you, here's what I would recommend: is recommend you having them do a practice one for a decent price. You know, whatever they feel that decent price would be. And um, so, for example, if somebody says, "Oh, I want you to write content." based on my videos, I'll listen to a video and I'll think, well, how fast do they talk? And, you know, do they have a heavy accent or do they need, I mean, is it good? How much work is it going to be for me? So I basically, I evaluate and then I give a price quote based on how much work that I think it will be. Um, so for somebody else, they might have a flat, flat rate. What I would say, if your budget is tight, there's a couple of ways that you can go. And, Um, one is hiring somebody that like a college student. Um, and because there's a lot of very talented, very, uh, quality people that are still in college and yet they don't have a lot of experience. And so it's kind of a win-win because they might not charge you as much as somebody with a lot of experience. And yet it's a win for them also because, you know, it beats working fast food or retail or something like that because they're building their resume and um, they have a job, you know, if they if you hire them that's flexible and all of that. So that's one way that you can hire somebody that's on the lower end. The other, of course, is hiring somebody like from the Philippines. And you do have to be careful with that simply because um, there's culture and there's other things that come in and it it could make the where the quality's not good or it doesn't sound like you, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's kind of two things there. And I, I'm sorry, I can't give you a more definite, yep. but there's there's a broad range. And I'll, I'll give you um, a couple of writers that I was in touch with just recently. One charges 50 cents per word. So that could be quite a hefty price, but she's an excellent writer and does really in-depth um, research and things like that. And she writes for a lot of big name blogs, uh, like kiss metrics and, you know, different things like that. And so she's at the high end. There's another, um, lady that I talked to and she charges $85 an hour. So that's not cheap either. Mm -hmm. But, um, 
either of those didn't always charge that, and yet they were good writers. So, you know, so I mean, like I say, it's really, really difficult because it's kind of finding somebody who has the ability, who maybe needs a little bit of feedback or that type of thing, but overall they are a good writer Mm -hmm. and willing to take instruction from you. And um, like I say, if you could do something like the blogging your voice um, option that I mentioned earlier, chances are if somebody has writing ability, they're going to be able to take that transcript of something that you've done and create quality content with it for a pretty reasonable price, even if they're not super experienced, as long as they have the talent to do it. Right. And so, okay, so two things to drill into here. Uh, First is... Any tips on where to find good writers? When you're recruiting, are there any websites, any particular places that you like to go and look? So where I would go and look, first of all, word of mouth. Um, That's always a good thing. Like if you know somebody who is using a writer and they're happy with that person, then I would obviously start there. And um, I just happen to have somebody come to mind that might be a good fit for you. Oh, good. Um, (laughs) And so I can tell you afterwards, you know, and I don't know what he charges, but from what I know, he's very reasonable. And another one of my clients that has hired me for coaching has this guy write his content. Mm. And I don't think he charges a terrible amount. So, So some of that is just that whole word of mouth thing, you know, like ask around, like, hey, do you know anyone who's a writer Mm -hmm. that I could hire? And then uh, getting a referral. The other thing that I would look at would be places like Upwork. Mm -hmm. And and just that's obviously there's a whole range of prices and um, different countries, different experience levels and all of that. And so with a site like that is you want to look at things like their rating, how many hours have they put in. So Upwork will show how many hours they've worked for up through Upwork and what is their rating. So you can even sort it where like it's 90% and higher or things like that of satisfaction. And then you can read the reviews just like any other site nowadays. People will review um, people. And what I would do then is start really small. Give them one assignment that is like write a 500-word you know, blog post and you give them the specific instructions for it. And you're not saying, I want to hire you to write content for my site. You're basically saying, I want to hire you to write this one post for me. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I've often done when I'm hiring someone. I'll give them one thing to do. And I might even... Uh, and this cost a little bit up front, but I might even give that exact same assignment to, say, three different writers that I've found mm-hmm. and then see who's I like the best. And sadly, one thing you do need to do is um, run what you get through something like Copyscape because sometimes, especially if they're a low-cost writer, some of those will rip content off. I mean, sadly, that's that's just a reality. Sure. <laughs> and so when you're first starting with them, and especially if they're cheap, um, you know, they're looking for ways to cut corners and make more money per hour. And so, you know, they might just rip it off or rip off big parts of it from somebody else or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that would be what I would do is give them – um, an assignment for one thing, maybe give it to three people, evaluate which one you like the best, 
and then give them a slightly bigger assignment, let's say four blog posts or that type of thing. And once you feel like they're um, doing good work and a good fit, then you can talk about them. Hey, I'd like to make some kind of an arrangement with you where, you know, you write this much content for me um, every month for this flat fee, you know, that type of thing. And then you kind of get away from the whole nickel and dime, you know, kind of a thing where they're charging for every little thing and you know exactly what your budget is and they know exactly what they're going to get paid. So it's good for everybody. Um, So just kind of going from there. Right. Okay. And so one question for you. Now, when you're hiring a writer, are you Mm -hmm. expecting that writer to send you something that's fully edited and proofed as well? Or would that be somebody you would send to it separately? Well, generally speaking, I expect a writer to have good enough skills that it should, you shouldn't have to pay somebody else to edit. Yeah. Um, You know, because... Um, that well, that's just my opinion on it. Yes. Is that's part of being a good writer is writing and then maybe putting it aside for a day and then proofreading it to make sure that it's good. Yeah. And so with all of the people that I've done writing for, nobody else looked at it after I published it. Right. You know, and so um, so that's kind of a key too is give them time to proofread. And what I mean by that is. It's not good to write something and immediately proofread it. Chances are you'll miss mistakes just because you're too familiar. Mm -hmm. So people need to have at least a few hours and even better, a day or two after they finish writing it before they go back and proofread it. Now, obviously, if they procrastinate, I mean, you don't have any uh, control over when they'll get it done uh, or when they'll start on it, you know, but... If your expectations are reasonable, they're going to have time to do a better job for you. So they're going to have time to write it and proofread it. Um, whereas if you get something to them at the very last minute and you're like, I need this you know, to go live tomorrow morning and it's like 10 o'clock at night that you give it to them, yeah, they'll maybe meet the deadline, but they might have more typos and that type of thing in it. So fair enough, yeah. yeah. And and I guess the only exception would be is if you're hiring somebody to write on something because they're the topic expert, but writing sort of secondary for them. Then I guess in that case, it would be reasonable to expect editing. But if you're hiring a professional writer, I tend to agree that they should they should be able to proof it. Now, what about additional services? So for example, when you're working with writers, um, would you expect that, they, you know, if you gave them keywords, they're going to be able to optimize it for keywords, um, image suggestions, formatting? What's the expectation there? Well, again, it depends a lot on the person's skill set. So let's say, for example, I'm assuming you use WordPress. Mm-hmm. You would want to hire a writer that has WordPress experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so because then they're going to be able to not, – they're not going to just email you this, you know, thing that they wrote and you have to deal with it. You know, you can set it up where they can log in, they can upload it, they can format it, they can add in the keywords and all of that. Now, one thing that I will say is that it pays to take the time to train somebody properly. And I'll give you an example of someone that is fantastic with this is Michael Hyatt. Michael, when he has somebody work for him, he creates these incredible uh, step-by-step process with screen grabs, with everything, like Step one, do this. And here's the screen grab of exactly what I want you to do. You know, and he'll give tips like, let's say, for, you know, keywords or that type of thing. Um, And 
so anyway, and obviously you don't necessarily have to go that far, but it can really pay off in the long run if you know how to do something yourself. Like you've been doing this all along and you're up on SEO and that type of a thing. Um, and the person that you're hiring maybe doesn't have that same level of experience, but they can learn. So if you take the time and you create a process and all they have to do is go through and follow the instructions and then you can give them feedback on what they do. And, you know, in, in no time, I mean, assuming they have the ability to do it in no time, they'll be able to do everything, um, on, on their own. Fantastic. All right. So last question for you, Rebecca, uh, if people want to connect with you, if they want to find out more about what you're doing, uh, where can they connect? Sure. So my website is professionalcontentcreation.com, and that is by far the best place uh, for people to connect with me. Um, there's So there's my blog there, and I, I try to obviously keep my own content updated regularly. People can also connect with me on Twitter at rlivermore and on Facebook at um, facebook.com forward slash content creation. That's awesome. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing so much. I mean, I grilled you. <laughs> oh, well, I enjoyed <laughs> and, and that it. was awesome. I mean, you, you had answers for everything, and, and you went way deeper than I expected. So that's, that's great. Thank you so much for uh, being here today, Rebecca. I do appreciate it. Well, thank you, Derek. Fantastic. All right, everyone. That was writer and content creating expert, uh, Rebecca Livermore. And as always, any links mentioned in the interview will be included in the show notes along with the entire transcript of this episode. And you'll find all of it at entrepreneurignited.com forward slash podcast. And uh, now it's time to take all the tips, tools, and strategies learned here today and apply that final essential ingredient. And that is take action. So take the content creation strategies, start looking at ways uh, to outsource your content so that you can start freeing up your time to scale your business and focusing on what you're good at. So go forth, take action. This is your host, Derek Gale, signing off. Thanks for listening to another info-packed episode of the Entrepreneur Ignited Podcast with Derek Gale. For links to all of the resources plus an entire transcript of this episode, go to entrepreneurignited.com slash podcast. Make sure you never miss another episode. Subscribe now on iTunes or SoundCloud.